Thanks for downloading episode 9 of Development Drums. I'm Owen Barda in Addis Ababa. Today we're looking at the work of the Development Assistance Committee, the DAC, which is part of the Rich Nations Club, the OECD, based in Paris. I'm joined today by the two leading players in the work of the DAC. So, I'm joined by Eckhart Deutscher, who is the chair of the DAC, the Donors' Assistance Committee, and by Richard Carey, who is the director of the Development Cooperation Directorate of the OECD. And he's about to correct me if I've got that wrong. Eckhart, Richard, thanks for coming on to Development Drums. It's a pleasure. Very good. Richard, good, to be, good to be with you. Was that the correct title? What's your title? No, you said Donors Assistance Committee instead of Development oh, Assistance Committee. And is that, has it always been called the, the Development Assistance Committee? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so tell us first, because I'm sure not everybody knows, what the Development Assistance Committee of the, uh, of the OECD is, Eckhart. Well, this is, a, uh, this is not an organization, this is not an institution, this is... Uh, uh, the the uh, DAC, the Development Assistance Committee, consists of members of 22 so-called donor nations. Nation states uh, like uh, United Kingdom, like France, like Germany, like Norway, Italy, Japan is member. And uh, they are coming together to define and to harmonize, uh, to talk about uh, a common standard how we or the donors are providing development cooperation. This is not only in terms of money. Uh, uh, everybody knows that uh, there's a, a target uh, since decades uh, to spend 0.7% uh, of the uh, cross-national income. Um, no, the uh, donors, uh, donor countries are also uh, looking on the qualitative standards. Are we providing aid sufficiently? Uh, how we are doing this? Are we doing this uh, good enough? And uh, we are talking regularly and we are defining uh, such uh, standards uh, in meetings in Paris because the DAC is situated in uh, Paris and is one of the committees of the OECD, the Organization for Economic Development and, and Cooperation. And, uh, uh, so this, so is this, is, this is in effect a, a donor's club within the OECD, which is the Club of Rich Nations. Is that, is that a way to think of, and it, it's a club whose purpose is to, for, for the different donors to, um, to work together to make aid more effective. Is that, is that broadly right? Yes, I would, I, would, yeah, I would say that it's a kind of um, uh, learning club uh, in the sense, as Eckhart said, it's not an institution, it's not an organisation. It's a place where countries get together to collectively think about the way they provide aid, the effectiveness of that aid, how much aid they're giving, uh, how, uh, how efficient their operations are, that kind of thing. One of its basic activities is peer reviews. Every four years, every country in the club has to be critically reviewed by the other members. And that's quite a process, and it, it requires thinking about one's performance on a regular basis. Okay, so one of the things you do each year is publish the Development Cooperation Report, which is a report that looks at the overall state of, of aid and the way that the donors are, are working on development issues. And you've just published a new report. Um, Eckhart, do you want to tell us a bit about what's in this year's report and what the main messages are? Well, normally the report has uh, two parts. One part where... Uh, where it's focused on uh, specific issues. And this uh, new development cooperation report is reflecting about the global landscape. Where are we on uh, the global level to think about what the challenges are in the 
globalized in the globalized world. And we started this development cooperation uh, cooperation report uh, without having now such the so-called financial market and economic uh, crisis, uh, but uh, structurally and uh, generally, uh, we are focusing, for example, on uh, aid fragmentation. This means we know that we have innumerable around 500 agencies, institutions uh, dealing with development cooperation. And we are reflecting about whether this is a part of the aid effectiveness that we are not, uh, as, a, as a global community, that we are not delivering effective, effectively. Because, because when you are taking into account that, for example, in Tanzania, there are uh, around 35 agencies only in the health sector, or when there are uh, ever in, 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 in average uh, 34 donor countries active in, in partner countries, the partner countries government, they are simply not able to deal with uh, 34 or 35 different systems. Can you explain a bit more about why that's a problem? Because often you think it's a, it would be a good thing to have a big variety of different organisations all trying different approaches and providing support in lots of different ways. That sounds like a good thing. Why, how is that a bad thing for developing countries? Well, it's a bad thing because um, uh, each donor agency has as its prime objective to get its aid program done and the money dispersed. And to do that, it is trying to attack, uh, uh, attract the time and the energy of the local officials. It's often hiring local talent that is, would best be employed in the government itself. So we get into a syndrome which is recently being called capacity stripping that the donor community, because of these multiple agencies, each with its own ego and its own desire to disperse, get its things done, is using up the capacity of the country rather than using the capacity or building up the capacity of the country. So that's a really basic failing in the aid system, which the Paris Declaration and more recently the Accra Agenda for Action is trying to target. So let's, let's come in a second to the Paris Declaration and the Accra Agenda for Action, but I want to stick with, with the new Development Cooperation Report. So you've identified the problem of aid fragmentation. It, does the DAC have a proposal for how to tackle it? Is, are you suggesting a way forward? Well, uh, uh, let me briefly say the second part of the Development Cooperation Report. This is a comprehensive presentation of what donor countries are doing in terms of financiation of money, uh, in which sectors they are active, in which countries they are, uh, they are active. Uh, in this report uh, you find you have uh, almost a, a comprehensive picture what the donor countries are doing. And so far, this is highly welcome uh, also for the public to be informed who is, who is doing what. And so far, the Development Cooperation Report is uh, what we are calling the flagship of the uh, publications of, of, of the DAC. And of course, it's very important that what the DAC does is, is set a definition of what counts as aid and what doesn't count as aid. And, and without that, you would have all different countries saying that all kinds of strange things should be counted as aid and should share. And, and what the DAC does is it makes sure that there's a common definition so that we're all measuring the same thing. And that's been a, that's been a critical function of the DAC over the years. So what, so what, what does this year's report tell us the donors are actually doing? Are they living up to the commitments they made uh, in Monterey in 2002 and then in, in 2005 to increase aid as, as part of a new global partnership? Is that happening? Well, I think the uh, strength of this uh, new development cooperation report is that we are not hiding anything what the problems are. We know that we need to, de to do uh, uh, very important homeworks. And this is, let us start with the, with the old but very important issue of aid financing. Aid financing, there have been a lot of international conferences by head of states promising uh, to increase uh, the aid, uh, 
promising uh, to, uh, to make new efforts on uh, developing financing. Uh, everybody knows to achieve the Millennium Development Goals, and this was a conference, a high-level conference of the head of states in the United Nations, uh, and uh, to, to, to define these objectives, but also to finance these objectives. And we have a chain of failures in the last in the last years. This means there was a decision starting with Monterey in Mexico uh, to finance uh, development. There have been several UN uh, initiatives and conferences reconfirming uh, the uh, importance of aid financing. There have been of the club of the G7 uh, promises in Glen Eagles with very concrete commitments and repeated in the uh, so-called Heiligen Damm uh, process. But uh, I think this is uh, still a very big challenge to fulfill the commitments. And I know that this is a, uh, that uh, a lot of uh, donor countries right now are struggling uh, with uh, this uh, target of uh, uh, f 0 0.51 or to provide more aid or this 0 0.7 uh, target in the financial crisis. Uh, but uh, I know on the other side, developing countries are very, very frustrated that the, the rich countries are not delivered. Let me um, just put some numbers around this, perhaps. Um, the uh, commitments made since Monterey and encapsulated in the Glen Eagles G8 summit um, foresaw uh, an increase in aid uh, from 80 billion in 2004 to 130 billion in 2010. That's an increase of 50 billion dollars in six years. $50 billion a year. $50 billion a year. In six years. That's an increase that has never, ever been seen in history before. So it implies that the aid system would adjust and adapt to find ways of putting that much more money out into developing countries in an efficient and effective way. Now, what um, do we see so far? We have started in the DAC a new survey on forward information so that we're asking every year our donors, what are you going to be giving in three years' time and to whom? Now, what our forward information survey is suggesting that as of last year, of that $50 billion, the uh, DAC members have programmed $20 billion. Right of that 50 billion. So there's a 30 billion that still has to be programmed. Now we're not yet at the end of 2010, so there's still some time to go, etc. cetera. Uh, but two things. Um, first of all, um, it's 20 billion and not 50. But secondly, 20 billion is an increase, a fairly significant increase. And if we're looking at this historically, we would say, well, so well, you're saying you'd be happy with 20 billion? No, if that, if that not happy about around. 20 billion okay. uh, because um, more uh, is uh, uh, needed, absolutely. And as I say, there is more, more uh, time for that uh, to happen. There's a lot of backloading, we note, quite a lot of backloading. So backloading, you, what you mean is that the increase is coming, but these yeah. countries aren't going to do it until the very yeah. last minute. Yes. Because their commitment is for 2010, yeah. not for now. Yeah. But what the commitment did, of course, was to keep heads of state and government thinking in terms of increasing their aid budgets, which was a very different, you know, they were in a different thinking mode than they were before these commitments were made. So I think we can say there's been a positive uh, um, side uh, to that, very positive side to that. We have now, of course, hit the financial crisis. And the key thing is, and uh, here Eckhart and uh, the Secretary General of the OECD got uh, DAC members to sign up to something called an aid pledge, where they pledge not to cut their aid budgets. Uh, because we saw in the 1990s, that's exactly what they did after recession, they cut them. Now, we, we see that already one or two have already cut uh, but holding the line and getting even further increases is going to be a tough 
metal. So let's name names. Put, uh, Ireland has cut and has announced, in effect, that it is not going to live up to the international commitment that it made. Is that broadly right? But no other, uh, although some other countries appear not to be increasing their budget in line with the commitments they made, none, no other has come forward and said explicitly, you know, we, we now renounce that commitment. We now no longer intend to meet that commitment. But well, is that I, right? I, 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 have, I have a big concern, and this big concern is that uh, the financial or the economic crisis might be an excuse now for not to deliver uh, the promises. Saying what I heard already several times, uh, let, us, uh, let us make our own conditions, our own economy, uh, let us fix that, and then afterwards let us have a fresh look on uh, development, on our, on our commitments. And I am smelling, I am smelling here another excuse because uh, when the economy was uh, more or less stable, uh, the, the the rich countries have not delivered. Why should they do it uh, afterwards? And uh, let me let me let me reflect uh, still still more uh, beyond uh, those uh, discussions. I think uh, the globalization processes and the challenges we have to mention climate change, uh, to, to mention uh, uh, the, the migration issues, all those problems, we are not, we, the rich countries, we are not reacting appropriately. Uh, we have concepts, we have a lot of discussions, but we are not reacting appropriately uh, with, with money. And when we are taking when we are taking the destruction of the forests in Africa, for example, or the Amazonas in, in Africa, everybody knows that uh, this is in our own interest of the rich countries that the rainforest is not destroyed because this will have an impact on the global climate. We need to think much more globally and not in the traditional fashion of division of labor who's Who's providing? Who's providing what? I think, I think that uh, the political systems uh, of the rich countries and the responsibles are not thinking deep and far enough to what is needed. And we we have a very clear picture what the risk problems are, but we are not reacting prompt, quick, and precise enough. Uh, what is needed. So the Development Cooperation Report is online. Uh, I'll post a link in the show notes for, for this and you'll be able to read much more detail about what progress is being made but also the risks as we move into into a period of financial crisis. Can we move on to... Sorry, Richard, do you want to add something? Well, I guess it might be a bit of a bridge. I mean, what um, the aid pledge is saying that we must not let the financial crisis lead to an aid crisis. Right. And if there is an aid crisis in 2009, say the G8 has to say we can't do it, um, I think that this will also be a moral crisis and that it will undermine the moral authority of the G8, which is already on the line because of all the policy and system failures that led to the uh, financial crisis itself. So I think we face quite a serious situation going beyond the aid field itself if we see those um, commitments being um, abrogated in 2009. Particularly, I, I, I agree totally with, with, with Richard. This might be end in a moral crisis. This is not only a problem of political credibility of the rich countries. You know, the problem is it was possible in this economic or financial market crisis, which, might, which will have consequences for the so-called real economy, it was and is possible to mobilize hundreds of billions of dollars for the own to protect or uh, to, to make the banking system and the own economic uh, economical system uh, uh, function. 
but uh, for the global crisis, the global problems, there is not, there was not the effort, and there is not the effort uh, to uh, trying uh, to, to 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 solve or to confront uh, with what I'm calling the risk uh, problems. Where is the uh, where is the economic uh, uh, package uh, to to guarantee or to to make it possible that the MDGs are achievable? That's the Millennium Development the Goals. Millennium, the Millennium De Development Goals. Uh, the where, where, where the, the money is there, but why egoistic or why to ignore the global impacts? And 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 coming back to that, what Richard said. Uh, this might end uh, not only in a problem of uh, political credibility, and uh, here I have big concerns, uh, this might end also in a, in a moral, in a humanitarian and in a moral crisis then. There does seem to be the potential for quite a big, not, not only for a problem on the supply side of aid with aid um, donors being less willing to give money as, as their um, government finances get worse, but also a problem on the other side, which is that developing countries may well need more aid than ever. The, if, if you see, um, uh, we've, we've got rising food prices, but if you see falling exports, mm. falling foreign currency earnings, less inward investment, less remittances, um, it, seem, it seems quite likely that the economic downturn will impact on poor countries. And, and just to stand still, they're going to need more aid just at the time that donors you, you know what? One tragedy is that uh, I think the donor countries with the aid effectiveness agenda, they made their homeworks. We are on we are on a path now to deliver aid in an effective and qualitative manner. This never happened before, and at the same time now came the crisis, and the risk is that all the efforts uh, uh, could be could be destroyed, and. Uh, this is my my plea or the, the DAC uh, plea saying uh, don't let us uh, let us uh, these are chances we have let us keep this these chances I think this is very important uh, that uh, especially the developing countries are not the most hit victims of this uh, of this global crisis I think here there is a, a new policy challenge for um, aid. That is, can aid become a counter-cyclical instrument in dealing with the impact of recession in developing countries? That's a big political in challenge. In other words, can aid go up at a can time when, go when the economy is going down instead yes. of going down? Right. As, the, as it does in effect in our own countries That's where right. social security spending yes. and unemployment exactly. spending rises and Precisely. thereby helps to soften the impact of Precisely. recession. And With aid, it's going the opposite direction. It's making things worse yes, in developing so countries. Yes, so I think that in the next couple of months, we have to make this argument very, very clear. And I hope that in the G20 meetings, at the Washington meetings, and our meetings at the DAC in Paris, this idea that we need to make aid work in a counter-cyclical way, which means a big push. We've got to find ways of getting money into the economic uh, systems of developing countries in the next four, five, six months. Uh, a lot of it will have to go in uh, pretty well cash aid to budgets to <laughs> maintain public expenditure levels on, on key mm -hmm. services, education, uh, health, etc. Uh, have to go into social safety nets where they exist to um, get more money through there. Have to go into investment in agriculture, vital to maintain investment in agriculture. Um, has to go in in ways which will help the private sector to keep going in those countries. That's a big, big challenge. So would you advocate the establishment of, uh, as it were, entitlement programs in developing countries in which, as the economy turns down, for example, because the world economy uh, has turned down um, and needs rise, that the aid donors are, are in some sense pre-committed to spend more in those environments if the need rises uh, the aid automatically goes up. And can, uh, can you think of any donor countries that would be willing to sign a commitment like that? I, I, I'm struggling to imagine, um, given, given, the, given the kind of political opposition to welfare programs and entitlement programs in our own countries, I'm struggling to, ima to imagine any donor being willing to sign up to that kind of a scheme internationally. Mm. There's only 
one example I know what in the stimulus package uh, in Germany uh, the government decided uh, to give 100 million dollars to the infrastructure program of the World Bank but you cannot imagine what political discussion of the opposition has been there that uh, this is uh, that this should not be done uh, that well there is a political will and a signal in this case uh, to uh, to extend or uh, to include to the global crisis in a positive sense also the developing countries but this is an exception I it is an exception I, I wonder if it relates to Willy Brandt actually because the Brandt report nearly 30 years ago now argued if I remember rightly I haven't read it for a while that um, improving trading conditions and prosperity in developing countries was an important way of stimulating our own economy, that mm. actually it was that it, it tended to lead to economic growth because it would lead to exports and, and having prosperous trading partners. Yes, I think that's right, that in, in principle a dollar of stimulus in a developing countries, country is as effective as a dollar of uh, stimulus at, at home because, uh, as you say, um, Owen, of uh, the uh, export demand, uh, etc. But um, coming back to whether uh, DAC members could operate um, counter-cyclically, the German example is a very instructive one. Now, President Zerlich of the World Bank has proposed a vulnerability fund so that uh, each um, donor country would put part of its stimulus package. 0.7, he said. 0.7, he said, which is... 0.7%. You know, so less, less than, for, for, every, for every $100, less than $1 would go into this vulnerability right, fund. Yes. Right, And then the vulnerability fund would indeed act in this counter-cyclical way and fund uh, safety nets and keep uh, demand going up in uh, developing uh, countries. Now, uh, another way of doing it uh, was uh, put on the table at our last uh, senior level meeting of the DAC by the United States. And their proposal was that in every developing country, donors should have a focal point for the impact of the financial crisis. And those uh, focal points should um, uh, collectively agree uh, on a rapid response to that country's needs. Um, now, whether you can bring that kind of a system into being uh, very quickly, uh, we'll see, but it's still on the agenda. What we haven't yet seen, of course, is um, uh, President Obama announcing his uh, aid administration. Right. Uh, what we have heard uh, from his Secretary of State, uh, Hillary Clinton, is that development and diplomacy are the two key foreign policy weapons of the United States. So we should expect um, an Obama administration to come in as an aid-increasing administration. That hasn't happened yet, and I think it's absent from the discussion. We need to hear in the next one or two months what they're going to do and how they see these this global... Uh, crisis and its effect on increasing fragility in many developing countries. One of the things, that Eckhart, that you mentioned a little while ago was the progress that's been made over the last um, five years or so on aid effectiveness, on how to make uh, aid more effective in, in reducing poverty in the countries where it's given. And that's something that the DAC has really played a leading role in defining. And I think many people will have heard of the Paris Agenda, although I suspect not a, not a lot of people will be able to remember the five principles off by heart. Um, do you want to say something about the role that the DAC has played in trying to drive up um, the effectiveness of aid and, and what progress donors are making on, on implementing that agenda? Well, <clears throat> after the Paris Agenda was established uh, in ninety. Uh, no, in 2003, 2000, uh, 2004, I think. 2005. Uh, 2005. Well, it's not uh, so. It's it's not history. This was uh, this are four years uh, ago. Uh, in my view, there has been made enormous progress. 
like in the history of development cooperation never before the donors came together they identified uh, the constraints uh, they uh, they promised uh, each other to do a better job and this was in the paris agenda now in the uh, three years later 2008 in september in the Accra agenda there was another qualitative jump and this is to include the so-called recipient countries, the partner countries, into the process. This is now a, a common sense that without ownership, without the close participation uh, of, uh, of partner countries, uh, development will not happen. We know there have been a lot of lip services in the last 10 years, 15 years, the country in the private seat and things like that. My impression is now we came uh, to a situation where donors are saying, uh, yes, we will take this seriously. I know we have to do a lot of, uh, still uh, a lot of uh, homeworks. Uh, uh, we, are, uh, we are committed. Uh, uh, I will not go more in, in, into the technical uh, problems, uh, but uh, to have uh, a transparent uh, 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 aid management or financial financial uh, management uh, that we are adopting the procurement system, for example, that every donor uh, has to demonstrate and to to justify why he has not applied the country systems uh, the, to apply the country systems in delivering uh, aid. Uh, should be the rule and not the exception and the exception has to be justified and in a transparent in a transparent manner I think there has uh, there are now um, uh, still a lot of homework donor have to do and donors are 22 plus the European the European Commission to deliver what they promised and this is now the actual process for the next two in two and a half years, in 2011, we will have the high-level meeting number four. And then I'm expecting that uh, we can say we have, to, we have delivered, we made the promises. And uh, from the partner country side as well as from the donor country side, all in all, I think we are in this aid effectiveness agenda we are, on, we are on a very good way, what we had never seen before. That, I have to say that's the most optimistic and upbeat account I've heard of the progress we're making in implementing. I mean, the Paris Agenda, is a lot of it is about getting the donors to respect and get behind the country's own plans, its own objectives, that's the, the ownership agenda, and also it, to use the country's own systems, the, the so-called alignment agenda, so that... The, the kind of problem that you were describing earlier where of hiring all the staff away and setting different priorities and trying to get time so that those problems go away and that that, that makes it possible for countries to uh, to receive more aid without it beginning to do more harm than good but I think for a lot of people in developing countries a lot of donor staff the experience is that, that they spend a lot of time in very laborious committee meetings with many, many donors trying to agree a common strategy and often agreeing some lowest common denominator. And it doesn't feel, I think, to a lot of people as if much progress is being made <coughs> to really improving the effectiveness with which aid is delivered. I mean, do, does, that, do, do you does that story reach you? And it, does, is there something of a disconnect between these kind of central agreements about how aid should be and the experience that's actually going on in developing countries? What's your sense of of how it's rolling out? Well, um, I think that uh, it is clear that uh, this is a <laughs> difficult agenda to implement. What is really happening is that the donor community is uh, trying and having to learn how to act collectively instead of individually. Now, to do that, um, they need the country uh, to have clear strategies, strategies that have also been discussed by um, constituencies uh, in the country itself, inclusive uh, strategies. That process itself has not 
been strong in many countries. That is a frontier in many countries. Uh, and so the donors often are still finding there's not the basis on which they can form the coalitions to support a clear country strategy. But there's no doubt that this is the only way to go. There are you know, big transactions costs that are becoming quite evident. But we have to say that there were huge transactions costs in the other way of doing business that you know, were scattered all over the place, so you didn't see them as concentrated as they are in this process. Uh, over time, one would expect, as, as we, we get into this model of the country strategy supported by a coalition of donors, that the transactions costs would go down. And um, then the other part of this way of operating is the results focus, that everybody is focused on a set of results. Um, the country is measuring those results. Uh, and that there is a, a system of mutual accountability in the country. That is to say, once a year, the donors and the country would sit down and say, well, look, how's the aid system working? Is it, are, we, are we getting there? Are we not? And you know, who needs to adjust? So that's the, that's the model that the Paris Declaration laid down. Now, what happened at Accra was that some very operational uh, commitments were made by donors to use the country system, because if, if the donors don't use the budget system in an aid-dependent country, there won't be a budget. Therefore, there won't be any parliamentary accountability, etc. Then they promised to be predictable, to tell the country what they were going to give it for the next three to five years. Without predictability, how can the planning process happen, etc. Then on division of labour, to sort out the situations where there were too many donors doing too many different things in a sector, or where there's not enough donors to redress the, the, the imbalance on uh, that side. Um, so these, um, these are you know, quite strong behavioral imperatives, and um, that's the frontier that our aid agencies and our developing country partners are at right now. And the feedback from developing countries uh, themselves, from the governments and, and parliaments, for example, is uh, uh, are they are they f telling you that uh, uh, that they're seeing a real change in donor behaviour, or are they, are they saying that they look forward to it, or what's the? Um My experiences are that we have a mixed picture. Some governments are taking this more seriously than other governments, and. Uh, I have the impression, uh, traveling last year uh, through several countries in Latin America, uh, that uh, we have uh, a problem here, that uh, the aid effectiveness uh, agenda is not so, so uh, uh, taken seriously, uh, like for example in African, uh, in African countries. Um, uh, I have the impression well, a lot of governments, partner governments, are talking individually with donors. Uh, but uh, to have a strategic, a political strategic debate, uh, what donors and the international community could do in a country or in a region, looking about uh, on, on climate change uh, issues, uh, this is more the exception than the rule. Mm -hmm. I would wish that uh, more partner countries are elaborating a political dynamic, a dialogue from them uh, to challenge the donors and the donor system, saying uh, we are expecting that uh, you are doing this or that, that you are integrating your efforts into our own uh, development uh, plans. My observations uh, and experiences are saying uh, the partner countries uh, can do much more like they did until now. I'm always struck by how effective it is when partner countries are able to take the lead like that and, right. and how rarely they recognise that they actually have some power in this relationship. Although it seems like the donor has all the power because they have the money and the partner country has mm. none of the power because they, they need the money. Mm. Actually, when a, when, a partner, when a developing country is able to, uh, to assert how they want the donors to behave, the donors actually tend to uh, find it very difficult to to do otherwise. Yeah, and in, indeed, even the donors are waiting for the developing country to take charge in uh, that uh, sense.
No, I, I think that, that, uh, that the Paris Declaration model has gained tremendously wide acceptance. People say, this is the model, we all need this model, but actually implementing it is a genuinely difficult job. And the scaling up of aid is a genuinely difficult job when you think about it, because what you have to do is to, to match um, an increased supply of aid, which has to be approved by parliaments, etc., with a set of programs in the developing countries which will deliver that aid through to the ground level. And so you've got two, diff uh, two difficult public policy problems that have to be um, put together. Right. So this right. is an inherently difficult job for any kind of administration. So in a way, we shouldn't be surprised that it's not going as fast as we like, but we do have to persevere. Now, we're doing a lot of work, and it's in the uh, development cooperation report on the fragmentation issue, which Eckhart mentioned. We're doing much more mapping mm. to show how fragmented things are, and that should help um, at the country level some more rational decisions being, being made, and at actually at the head office level too. Um, because um, our aid agencies and our aid ministers are making fragmented decisions, <laughs> which result in fragmented aid. And, and just helping them to see visually should uh, induce some corrections of behavior. Then the other major chapter, there's another major chapter in this year's report on predictability. And that's been a major failure in the, in the aid system. And uh, we now have these uh, forward aid information um, surveys. Uh, we have the ACRA Action Agenda predictability um, recommendation. Uh, and we should see, and we will be checking to see, uh, a much greater degree of predictability coming to the system. Do you have an idea yet of um, the the fourth high-level forum, um, <coughs> 2011, is that right? That's it. Um, do you have an idea yet of what you expect? I know it, it will depend a lot on what progress we make and what, particularly what our partners uh, want to see in that agenda, but do you have a, a twinkle in your eye or an idea at the back of your mind of what the next frontier is going to be in the aid effectiveness agenda? What, where are the areas where we're going to, where the international community will push the boundary? Or do you think perhaps in 2011 everyone will get together and declare victory? <laughs> to cl declare uh, victory, there's uh, still uh, there's still uh, time after uh, 2011 to achieve the. Uh, Millennium Development Goals, for example, 20, uh, 2011 is uh, to reflect where we are. Have we done our homeworks? And what I'm doing and what I'm intending to do as a duck chair uh, is uh, to ask uh, the donor government, where are you? What have you done uh, until now uh, to fulfill the promises? Uh, I want to keep, uh, I will not say pressure, uh, but uh, I think this has to do with confidence building, this has to do uh, with compliance, this has to do uh, with partnership that uh, donor countries are fulfilling their promises. And this is how I'm understanding uh, my, my job. Uh, I, will, I will do it and uh, this is also a matter uh, not, not only uh, to to, to pressure to be effective, this is also a matter of fairness. Uh, when we have a contract, when we sign the contract, we have to fulfill the contract. And I think this is important. Uh, and uh, again, uh, I will remind uh, donor countries uh, to fulfill their, their commitments. And on fulfilling the contract, because this contract idea really comes out of the, the Monterey meeting in 2002, this idea of a compact <coughs> between developing countries that promise to do more on governance, for example, and improving their accountability, yeah. and the donors. What's, where are you on the, on the scorecard? Do you think, on the whole, that um, developing countries have lived up to their commitments and the, the donor countries not so much? Or do you think they've, they've both fallen short? Or do you think they're both making great progress? What's your sense of the, uh, how the balance is on that compact? Uh, on the, the compact between uh, more aid for more governance. Right. <laughs> um, 
Well, the more aid story we've uh, gone over, and there's a big challenge because it's not only right. more aid, it's more okay. <laughs> and more aid uh, if we really want to. So that's pretty much a could do better uh, report on that side. Of could the do <laughs> and will need to do something extraordinary this year because of the recession right. uh, condition. On the uh, the governance side, um, there are a lot of um, improvements taking place if you look in the detail. But then, of course, there are some uh, cases where clearly governance is going wrong and has yet to be uh, put right. Now, um, in the Accra Agenda for Action, agreed uh, last uh, September, the issue of fragile states has been incorporated into mm. the Paris Declaration, if you like, so that um, there is now a special agenda embedded in the Accra Action Agenda for helping fragile states to um, build stronger states. And there is a new international network on conflict and fragility, which includes people from the fragile states. There's a new dialogue on state building jointly chaired by France and um, the Congo, the Minister of Planning from Congo. Yeah, but it's a polite international bureaucrat's way of saying that developing countries have made quite good progress on governance and the donors have not made correspondingly good progress on their side <coughs> of the deal. Is that a fair summary of well, what um, you just said? Um, put it this way. <laughs> uh, I think that um, donors, uh, as we can see it through peer reviews, are taking very serious note of the Paris Declaration and of the Accra Agenda for Action, but changing the business model is very hard. It is a big change of uh, business model, and the Accra Agenda for Action has such specific um, recommendations in it that at the 2011 forum, which will probably be in Korea, it's going to be very hard to escape from. The things to look for will be um, on the country systems. Indeed, uh, have the donors begun to use country systems much more as a matter of course? Or have they said, we're going to help you with capacity building to strengthen the country systems? That will be pretty you know, easy to tell. Uh, on the predictability one, that is a very uh, explicit one. We'd be able to tell whether they're doing something on that. The joint management of technical assistance, another undertaking in Accra, that will also be pretty easy to check on. But can I, can I just challenge you a bit on how difficult this is for donors? I mean, I'm always struck that um, donor countries' representatives travel the world and think nothing of wandering into a meeting with a minister and saying that you need to sack all your judges and get yourself a new judicial system or you need to privatise some state enterprises that will liberalise this sector of your economy or take on this important interest group which seem to me like you know, pretty eye-watering reforms in a country that you know, doesn't have an enormous amount of capacity and doesn't have enough money to necessarily to compensate the losers in a, in a tariff reform package or something. But still we go in and you know, invite those countries to, to undertake that kind of reform. But when it comes to you know, a donor country publishing forward plans for three years on their budget on the aid programme, that apparently is incredibly difficult to do, and you know our system doesn't allow it, and there are too many interest groups that prevent it. I mean, it seems to me a, a couple of orders of magnitude less demanding than anything we're expecting of our developing country partners to make really quite simple changes in the way we administer our aid budgets. So I mean, I'm wondering if you're if you're being a bit easy on the donors by saying that this is very hard to do. It doesn't it doesn't sound that hard to do. It you know given that there are people dying. <laughs> Well, um, I think that the Accra Agenda for Action, by being so specific, means that donor agents will have to be showing much more clearly right. whether or not they are doing um, these things. I think that's... That's, that's one of its strengths. That's, that's a strength, yeah. yeah. We've yeah. never, ever had such specific... 
kind of uh, commandments. And on untying of aid, for example, what the Accra Agenda now asks every donor to do is to publish its strategy for untying all its aid. It doesn't say by this year or that year. But they have to say but how they But they have it. to say. You know, the United States will have to say, you know, what it's going to do about food aid. Japan will have to say what it's doing about technical assistance. Now, they're supposed to do that by the middle of 2009. Whether they do or not, well, we see. And we will know whether they have or not. And they will uh, be under pressure to do it. And Eckhart, is there anything in particular that you would like to see um, as, as the DAC chair, as the head of this club? You know, you're our, you're our club chair. What, what would you like to see most happen in the next year or 18 months? As we move forward, and particularly in the in the face of the financial crisis, what 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 would your priorities be for the for the way the donors that are members of your club behave? I would like to see to deliver the commitments on the financial side. Secondly, to uh, take it seriously, uh, to follow the ACRA action uh, action agenda, uh, to uh, to perform. Uh, the development policy systems and how aid is uh, delivered, uh, and <coughs> and uh, thirdly, uh, as we know that development is only one, that aid is only one part of development, that we are more successful, more convincing in what we are ca calling policy coherence. Uh, we need a new qualitative response of the political systems as a whole in the, in the rich countries uh, to, uh, to respond to the, to the, to the needs uh, of, uh, of developing countries. And this is trade, this is environment, uh, this is migration. We need much more cooperation, communication among these political vectors. These would be my three, uh, if you wish, dreams to make, uh, to make progress in the, in the next years. Eckhart Deutscher and Richard Carey from the DAC at the OECD, thanks very much for coming on Development Drums. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Owen.